Hi there, welcome to Insights with NetSupport. I'm Mark Anderson, ICT Evangelist. I'm the Head of Education at NetSupport Group. And on these shows, we bring in an expert and get to share some top tips and some of their insights, hence the name, into things that they are really, really experienced in. And it gives me great pleasure on this episode of Insights with NetSupport to bring in somebody that I've known for a very, very long time. He's a successful teacher, a middle leader, school leader, now deputy CEO of a Trust. Um, he's a, um, I mean, I, we could probably spend the entire episode actually talking about his various accolades. He's written plenty of books. He's very well respected on social media and in, in the education space. He's been, you know, advised lots of companies. Uh, but uh, for me, uh, he'd always be the one and only uh, super helpful, really nice guy. Um, always happy to sort of jump in and, uh, and give a helping hand uh, if you reach out to him on social media. It gives me great pleasure to welcome onto Insights the one and only John Tate. Welcome, John. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for that lovely introduction. And it's you're right, absolutely right. We've known each other for a long time, and I, I think that I was I was just thinking back there. You were probably one of the first uh, educators I followed on on kind of Twitter at the time, I think. And I remember when I first kind of met you at a conference. Uh, I remember kind of coming home to my wife or to someone and saying, "Oh, I've just met a guy that I've been following for ages online," and she looked at me as if it was like the end of the marriage. Do you know what I mean like I was going to tell something <laughs> a little bit different? Um, but no, you know, it was all in a very professional sense. And then we'd been, we'd been chatting for a while online and it was kind of then great to hook up at some point to, to put a face to a name rather than, rather than an avatar. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Appreciate it. <coughs> I know you're very welcome, John. And, and it's, it's been a real symbiotic thing. You know, I, I hopefully you've learned one or two things from me over the years, but I know for sure, uh, I, I've learned an awful lot from you. And, uh, so it gives me a great pleasure to welcome you onto the show and, and, one of the things that I love about you, John, is is that you know you're, you're really humble. You've, you've achieved so much, uh, um, but um, you're always happy to give up your time and and help help people, whether that's in things like this, uh, or if somebody just pins you a question on social media, you, you jump on in and you help people out. And um, you know, so hat off to you, and thank you for coming on the show and, and oh, joining me for that. this chat. Thank, thank you. you. And, and I think that I think that for me, that's just that kind of it's nice that people recognize that but ultimately i just kind of live by that motto of well you know be the person that you needed when you needed help you know and actually the fact that we've all needed help we've all needed that kind of in inspiration or help or advice at the time and actually you know why should we not provide it to people you know now we're in a position to give back and i think that that's you know we can now you know create and and, and, and kind of create content for people then if we can do that then great so uh yeah hopefully more people can do that no, no, great, and uh, that's, a, that's a great uh, way to be, I think, John. I say, I, I sort of share about sort of social media, Twitter, for example, sort of being like the best staff room in the world, right? And so, mm -hmm. the more people can actually share and support and help each other out, then you know, the better we're all going to be. Um, I want to ask you, John. So, I, I did a potted history then of, of your career and things, but for those people who don't sort of know, you could you sort of share a little bit about your journey into education and lead us through to where you are now and what you're doing in, in your roles now, please. Yeah, definitely. So I, I started actually as a as a, a sports coach, as a football coach, and a lifeguard. Um, and then I, I wanted to get into PE teaching. Um, and so I 
was working at a sports center that was that was connected to her school. So I then did my, my my GTP, my graduate teacher program, which people younger teachers might not refer to it now or know it, but it's ultimately to very similar di- to the school direct program that, that we might now know. Um, so I did a I did a, a couple of years uh, in the in the first school, moved over to, to another school, rapidly went through middle leadership as a head of year. Uh, so I went into kind of into pastoral leadership, and I remember, and I said this to all the trainees when I go back to the kind of training school, and I say that I, I, an assistant head once said to me, she said, "Have you seen the uh, advert in the staff room, John?" For the it was the, the assistant head of year job at that time, the assistant head of year job. And I said, mm, "No," and she said, "Well, I think you'd be really good at it." And I remember saying, "Why would I want to pick up everyone's crap all day long?" And then ultimately, I got the job, and that's all I did for the next ten years in terms of pastoral leadership was picking up problems you know, around the school and trying to solve them and with parents and everything. And as anybody listening to this from a pastoral point of view will know. Uh, so I did that. Then I moved into an assistant uh, assistant head teacher uh, for behavior uh, and safeguarding. Uh, did two or three roles as an assistant head teacher. Left that school, became a deputy head teacher at a school in Middlesbrough um, for six and a half years. Left that role in the middle of lockdown, which wasn't wasn't on the map and the plan of like, let's do this. It's going to be, you know, very strange time. So I couldn't say goodbye to people because we were in that kind of, as people remember, the kind of key worker syndrome of only three or four people mm. in the school and masks on. And, and I remember like, you know, coming home and stripping off all the clothes at the back door, putting them straight in the washing machine, in the shower, you know, not wearing a tie because I couldn't wash my tie and all those kind of precautions that we took at the time. And now it's just like, oh, well, you know, whatever, we'll kind of get on with it. And then so I've then moved into my my current role as, as deputy CEO across three schools and six forms up here in, in, in North Yorkshire. And I've been doing that since the middle of lockdown. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I've done. Uh, and my, I suppose my my subject is is, is PE uh, or was PE. I don't really, I haven't really taught much anymore. But one, one important thing I always say to people, Mark, is that I still feel I'm a teacher. Whether it's teaching adults, whether it's teaching teachers, whether it's teaching, you know, that idea of I've come into this life or this kind of profession to make a difference and to help people be better, whether it's an 11-year-old throwing a javelin or whether it's a 31-year-old maths teacher who's struggling with a questioning technique, my, what I think my superpowers or my, I suppose, you know, motive in it all is to make people better. And that's why I still feel I'm a teacher, even though I might, I don't have a timetable. So I always believe I'm a, I'm a teacher just with a different kind of, maybe a different audience or a different kind of reason to do that. So yeah, that's kind of what I am and, who I always will be, I think. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for sharing, John. I think you're absolutely right, you know. Um, not not too similar sort of path myself, although more sort of uh, uh, um, academic rather than pastoral. Um, but the, the, it, the job doesn't change that necessarily that much, but the, the lens and the focus does a little bit, doesn't it? So rather than being so much with the children, uh, the students and pupils, it's more with, with the adults and supporting them. But you're still making a big difference, John. And another way you make a big difference, I mentioned it in my introduction, John, is, is with your writing. You, you've written a few books, haven't you? Do you want to share a little bit about that and, and how that happened and some of the books that you've written? Yeah, and, and that, that was a really interesting kind of phase that I'm still writing now, but a really interesting phase that I, you know, when I was at school, I was a, a C-grade kid. Um, would never, ever, ever have thought in a million years that I would have written anything that would be read by anybody else apart from one of my teachers. Um, and, you know, got this, uh, I, this opportunity came about because I was blogging. You know, like you, Mark, you know, in terms of we were, we were both kind of, you know, like a lot of other people, not just not just you and I, let's say. That, you know, there's a lot of people that that kind of teacher blogging kind of exploded, didn't it, on Twitter at that kind of similar time. And people were then able to write authentic views of what works in the classroom without having to be 
a professor of education or a kind of a, you know, anything like that. We were really having that authentic voice. And there was a real explosion that happened on Twitter. So I was writing and writing and writing lots of blogs. And I got asked to write um, a recommendation for somebody's book, like, a, um, you know, and I thought it was just going to go on onto their website that said, John Tate says, buy this book because. And then a few months later, they sent me the book and I was on the back of the book and I was like, wow, like I'm on the back of someone's book. And then they then got back to me and said, We've seen your we've seen your back catalogue of your of your blogging, and we like your writing style. And I was like, I've got a writing style. <laughs> how did, how has this worked from this C grade kid at GCSE that would have never had any dreams or aspirations or hopes of anybody reading anything that I'd written? Um, mm. And I said, Oh well, yeah, I'd love to write something. So that was Bloomsbury, and I kind of you know I, I they they wanted me to write a couple of different titles. Well, actually, at the time, Mark, they said we've got two titles uh, ahead of your book. Um, sorry, no, it was a senior leadership book and a classroom pedagogy book. So it was one of the 100 Ideas books. Would you like to write one of these? And I said, I'd like to write both of them. And they're like, yeah, but we only give one contract out at a time. And I said, I know you probably do, but I'm telling you, I want to write both of them and I'm your man. So I negotiated to write both of them. And then I've written two or three more since where I've been able to kind of then go to them with an idea and say, I think, I think I'd like to write this and I think there's a need for it. So my, 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 kind of my, my, my writing, as you can see on the screen there, has kind of grown from you know blogging to four books to one of them being published in spanish and all this kind of stuff and ideas for future books so yeah it's been it's been brilliant and i think that the the message behind it all is it doesn't and we hear it all the time but we sometimes don't believe it that the the more you do something and the more you get better at it you know you can get to that stage where you can do whatever you want to a certain degree and it's all been done because i wanted to write i practiced and i think reflecting on it I then started to think about what my audience and my writing was. So, you know, who would who would my audience be? If my audience is a, a middle leader wanting to transition to senior leadership, well, what did I need at that time in my career? And not thinking about what John Tate wants to write, but thinking about what people need in their careers. And I think once you then get that right, you're then writing something that's going to be useful, not just something that I just want to write, because I can do that on a blog, you know? So mm. um yeah, so yeah, it's been a it's been a great process and it's been a very cathartic process, I think. And it's been it's it's let me sequentialize my ideas and kind of think about why have I done things and why have they worked and how have they worked and what would people need to know to implement it so I think that's helped me process and reflect in my mind why it's worked rather than just oh it's some idea that's worked to then tell somebody brand new how to do it you've then got to work out all those things in your head which lets you evaluate it so it's been really helpful for me as well as hopefully as well as it's been for the people who read it. Yeah, well, I'd say as, as somebody who's read, read your books as well, John, they are jam-packed full of uh, ideas and, and um, you know, your, your, your C-grade self should be very proud of, of what you've done to achieve <laughs> with you, all man. of that. Thank you. <laughs> We've connected um, over um, a love of um, lots of things, actually, but um, mostly um, using technology for supporting both teaching, learning and, and uh, um uh, how you can be more effective in your role and all these sort of things. So I want to jump into some questions mm. around that and get some insights from you on that sort of thing. Because, say, in, in your previous school, um, you know, you, you were using Microsoft tools. Uh, in, in your trust now, you're using Google tools. Mm. Uh, could you talk a bit about that and your approaches and some insights into that, please? Yeah, it's been really interesting because I was we, we always used kind of Microsoft at my last place. So I, and, and, and I'd always only used Microsoft before then. So it was all I knew, really, in terms of, you know, and and it, and it became a. I'm starting to get out of the habit now, but it became a. They became verbs in terms of I'm going to do a PowerPoint, and what I really meant well, what I really meant was I was going to do a presentation, you know, and a Word doc, and, it, and it, I didn't necessarily. So you get you fall into these things like I'm going to Hoover the house, you know, when actually how many people have a Hoover Hoover anymore, and how many people have a, a Dyson or something different, 
but it, and I fell into that kind of well, like, like a lot of us do. You you only know what you know. Um, and I was I did a, a, some work for some well, not not work work, but I was one of the Microsoft innovative educators, so I did some stuff for them and you know help promote the various aspects. And when I moved to my new trust, then I we, we kind of it was a Google workspace, and I was a little bit like, oh wow, I'm gonna have to relearn everything, and how's this gonna work? And and actually. It was. It's been very seamless, and I think that for anybody kind of listening and thinking or watching and thinking, is it a big jump? Actually, they're all the very very similar tools. They're just there's there's very there's just some little different tweaks, and I've found that personally, I've really liked the move to Google. I think that there's a really nice workflow kind of solution. Uh, it feels. Uh, it, I, I like the kind of the white cleanness of it all. I suppose from a Gmail aspect and that kind of stuff, um, and I, yeah, it's it's been really useful, and I think that you know. I, I was really worried about kind of old presentations in PowerPoint and how they would kind of transfer across into into slides. And there are there are some little tweaks and some things don't go across as because not everyone likes not every company likes each other from that you know that in terms of putting a Word document in, in for Apple. It's like, ooh, this doesn't look very nice. And there's all those little kind of you know quirks sometimes of how that works. However, the general kind of broad understanding of how things work in terms of in terms of that, I I've really enjoyed. I also really like how now there's a real move to kind of web-based and kind of lighter applications. So I I don't do anything that really sits on my laptop. Everything is done web-based through slides and, and docs and, and, and sheets, et cetera, et cetera, through Google. And when I when I transitioned across to my truck, I was worried that it, I would lose a lot of the functionality. But actually, because it's a, a lighter version that obviously sits on the web rather than the, the full, full, full fat version that sits on your laptop. But then how many of us actually use anywhere near the level of features that sit within Excel or Word? You know, for most people, probably, and sorry if I'm doing anybody a disservice here, but for most people who are watching this, probably go into a Word document or a Google Doc and change the font size <laughs> and underline things and put a couple of tables in, and that's about it. You know, you, you're not doing a huge amount of formatting that mm. is allowed in the kind of the, the the full fat versions. So moving to an online kind of version of that has been fantastic. It's been allowed me to, to 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 access it on my phone, on my iPad, on my laptop. And I know Microsoft have moved, you know, to, you know, off through Office.com and all that kind of stuff. But I think that general movement towards a lighter version online, whether it's been in Microsoft or, or, or Google, has been a great way forward for us as a as consumers and that because it's made it a lot more accessible without the need of doing all those extra things that nobody really used in, in there. And I, I, and I don't know what your take on that is, Max. I know you, you use a variety of different kind of, you know, um, platforms across the work you do. But certainly my, my opinion has been that it's been, it's been great. Now, I mean, you made some really interesting points there. You, you know, my, my old adage about, you know, it, it ain't so much what you do as the way that you do it, that banana rama thing, right? Yeah. And, and like you said, to be fair, you know, most of the things you might want to do, and the same is true with numbers, keynote, and pages, really, to a, to a, a, a pretty large extent uh, in the Apple ecosystem. Um, and, and like you say, John, the the the, the full fat versions, as you called them, and I call them full fat versions as well, right? Um, but um, you know, even in sheets, comparing sheets in Excel, and I love my Excel, right? Uh, but even things like, you know, your conditional formatting, your, some of your you know, more meaty formula, your H and B lookups and those sort of things, you can still do all of that stuff in sheets. You can do your analysis and all the rest of it. So <clears throat> I say the people who are going to want to get in and get really deep and code in Visual Basic, and again, you can still code in, in sheets as well. So um, I, I don't think... 
that side of things is too, too important. And I think you, you drew a really in, interesting and important distinction there because people do get tied into ecosystems. You know, with my computing teacher hat on for a second, um, actually, it's really important that kids don't get tied into that ecosystem in a broad and balanced computing curriculum. What children should be knowing is how to use a word processor and a spreadsheet or a presentation piece of software. So if they're confronted with, you know, Tate Tech in 20 years time or whatever, yeah. you know, Tate Slides or whatever, um, then they, they, they've got those skills. And like you said, that transition from Microsoft into Google wasn't that difficult because you already knew how to use that particular type of software. And so I think that's the that, that, that's the, the, the key and what's important, John. I, I, um, I totally agree. I, I taught a little bit of computer science in my last school for a while. This idea that, mm. oh, John talks about technology, you can teach computer science. I was like, hang on a second, it's a little bit different this. Anyway, so I taught year seven and year eight for a little while. And um, yeah, I was, I was really struck by how how like exactly like you said there mike we need to we need to get give skills kids the skills to understand industry standard software you know whether that's google whether that's microsoft whatever it is and to be able then to navigate between both on on broad principles and was and and, and people outside education don't believe this like i tell them this and they go no no, no i don't believe it i'm like i'm telling you now it is true kids of today generally have no idea how, how to navigate an inbox, right? They are masters at communication in terms of different apps and Snapchat and then Instagram and everything else and DMs, and yada, yada. Ask them to then look at actually like reply to all and, 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 and inbox management and, and, and that zero idea of even how to kind of reply to stuff. And, and that's what really kind of scared me because you then look at what their diet has been maybe at, at, at uh, primary school and they haven't used laptops and inbox etc they've used maybe ipads and they've been dragging and dropping and how do they communicate at home well they communicate via xbox live and via you know dms and all this kind of stuff and people outside go yeah but they obviously not email and you're like no no <laughs> trust me they struggle with email because it's a it's a it's a different it's a different beast you know um and yeah i found that really interesting that to, to, to see that firsthand and then to kind of you know to see kids that had like 450 hundred emails and no idea where things were or how to kind of reply to all of this or add an attachment or the general basics that you would assume that our digital natives have they're actually very digitally native at other skills rather than the kind of normal desktop whether it's office whether it's gmail doesn't matter what it is the general desktop applications i find has been strikingly missed and i think i wonder whether the computer science movement almost needed to be brought back a little bit and a little bit more of IT movement as well because there's a, there's a huge gap of IT skills that these kids have now lost because when we were growing up, we all we all probably had a desktop or a laptop available at home. Now you speak to kids and you say, what's your diet of IT at home? They've all got a console and they've got a digital device. How many of them actually got access to an actual computer or a laptop where you do these things? That's very different. I think there's an interesting gap there that, we, that the, the curriculum has missed somehow by moving to coding and, and, and computer science has missed some of the IT skills. So it's a, an interesting kind of complex uh, situation we've got, isn't it? No, it absolutely is. So we, we could go down a whole rabbit hole now. I mean, I don't know if you read the uh, the Blunkett report last week about uh, from Labour uh, about the skills market and, and the research there and the need for more digital skills in the curriculum and, and so forth and so on. But it, it, there is a deficit there. We, we see the, the deficit... Actually, though, um, bringing it back on to our next question, mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we, we do see the deficit to a certain extent, though, um, in, in our, our teachers and leaders, actually, because 
many of them don't actually have. We've got a, a tranche, in my experience, of sort of 20-ish, 30-ish sort of year olds, early 30s maybe, who, who did get a good whack of the, you know, the ICT curriculum and, and uh, what have you. Um, but um, those sort of things weren't around for some of our older colleagues. Um, and so making the sort of best use of software so that it can support your everyday activities and, and okay, managing your inbox and, and so forth and mm-hmm. so on isn't necessarily always something which is high on, on their um, sort of confidence and let's call it competence uh, sort of levels as well, John. So um, I want to ask you uh, for the next question, right, because I know productivity is a big thing of yours. Um, how how um, do you, I mean, you, you can talk about Microsoft and Google or Microsoft or Google, um, and, and, and I know you're a fan of using, you know, all three kind of platforms mm. uh, anyway with your sort of day-to-day work. But could you share some insights in how you manage and maintain to be you know, as productive as you are uh, using the tools that you've got access to? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that, you know, this comes with a kind of a, a starting point that, that I wasn't always, always. I mean, I've always been interested in, in technology, but it's interesting that when I was in my first senior leadership positions, I still had a, a paper file of facts. So I wasn't always like fully digital from day one. Um, I like to file a fax. I like to write things down. And um, yeah, I kind of thought that was the, the way forward. Um, and then I kind of slowly kind of got, I think probably shamed and bullied into it in terms of, you know, are you, you talk about technology and you still use the file a fax. And I was like, hmm, yeah, maybe I need to look for a digital kind of version. So I, I kind of started using, um, at the time, and this is it no longer exists now, but I was using something called Wonderlist. Um, that, you know, ultimately, it's a you know a to do list where I could then kind of put in my what what I was doing. I could date them when I needed to do it by, and it really really kept me kept me on track for what I needed to do. What then kind of transpired is that I started to use it with the teams that I managed. Now, although Wonderlist was bought by Microsoft and it doesn't really exist in in itself anymore, you know, you and I have discussed before, Mark, about things like kind of you know Monday and Slack and and, and kind of Microsoft Planner. There's lots of different kind of you know tools out there that do these the similar things now. Uh, it depends how level, level of detail you want to get into because some of them are very detailed. Other ones are kind of quite simplistic and just sit on your phone as a very kind of simple app. But the ability to kind of to have my to-dos, to put, and again, this is whether it's you use Microsoft to-do, whether you use Google Tasks, whether, it doesn't matter what you use. Finding an app that allows me to kind of, when I need to in my head, right, I need to do that tomorrow. Like I was in a meeting this morning and I was, at the end of the meeting, I agreed on three things. And I was like, right, I'll, I'm going to put them in my phone now put them straight in my to-do list, they're in there, and actually every day I wake up or in the middle of the day, I'm looking, what do I need to do? I'm starring them, I'm checking them, I'm checking them off, I'm adding dates to them to put it on a certain day, I can add them to my calendar. That massively keeps me on track because wherever I am, whether I'm on, you know, at home, whether I'm in the car, whether I'm on, on a train, I've got that to-do list and it's always with me. So it's not like in a in a book in my bag that, oh, I wish I had that or I've forgotten it. It's always available on, on anywhere. It syncs everywhere. Um, but it also, a lot of these allow you to then uh, assign tasks to your colleagues. So if you're a leader, the ability, you know, what I struggled with previously when I was deputy head to start with was when I was line managing somebody who I was having a second guess, have they done this? I've asked them to do this. Have they done it yet? Mm-hmm. And I spent more time thinking about have they done the bloody job I'd asked them to do. I almost thought, you know, it's that kind of case where I'll just do it myself because actually it's easier to then know it's been done. But that doesn't create capacity in your system. So... I wanted to then get to a stage where how do I know that? So if I'm managing you, Mark, how do I know that Mark's done this? Well, by using you know a lot of these apps now, I can assign a task to you. When you do it, you tick it off. I get a notification saying Mark's done that. Brilliant. Massive game changer because it then starts to then, I don't then have to be thinking about 
Hazmark, Hazmark, Hazmark. Well, I know what you've done. I know where you're at. And actually, I'm not having to think about it. So those things make a huge difference from a productivity point of view from leading teams. It also allows you to, a lot of the more complex ones allow you to, if I look at your workspace or your dashboard and see that you've got loads of things on, you're not, you haven't started them that much or you're struggling with a couple of things. I can then reassign one of those tasks to somebody else who's who's got further on. And I can manage that workload very easily digitally without having to then call team meetings and waste people's time. I can then just do that, you know, from a dashboard. Um, so I, I like those things. And I also like, I so I use, from a Google point of view, I use tasks, I use Google Keep. And it was interesting. I didn't know what the difference was when I first kind of started. And what I found now is Keep is my longer notes, my kind of thoughts on a certain topic I can add paragraphs to and I can kind of jot notes down on a certain area and a, and a certain thought. And my my kind of, my um, my tasks are my literally my, my day by day, do this, do this, do this, email that person, speak to Mark, do this, send that to over to him. do, And that keeps me on track, whereas my Keep is my bigger thoughts. Um, I sometimes use my notes in my, my, my native Apple notes on my iPhone as well. Um, and I have this quirk of sometimes using notes rather than keep for certain things. And we all have these things where it's like, well, I, I put that in there and I don't put in that in there. But ultimately, whatever tool I use, it then keeps me on track. And I've got that place of even sometimes before I go to bed, rather than going to bed with a thought or thinking, you can wake up and, you know, people say have a pen and paper next to you. So you then write those things down and then we'll just shut them off and I can then go to sleep. Like that, I can kind of put them in my notes and I can write them down and then then go to sleep knowing that mm. I'm not going to forget it the next morning because it's in there. So those things massively keep me on track. And, and like you said, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, whether it's uh, Microsoft, they've all got those great tools. Um, and, and you can use them across platform. I use OneNote on my iPad. So I use a Microsoft solution on my iPad because I like to use my iPad as a digital notebook. And I, to, I like to use the pencil and I write handwritten notes in my, in my notebook in OneNote because I love the fact that it's uh, very, um, you know, um, in folders and notebooks. And I can very, you know, click, click, click straight into a notebook of Mark Anderson. Last time I spoke to you in there, all my written notes, syncs through my phone, syncs through everywhere. Great. If that was a, if that was a, an actual notebook, I'd be flicking through pages for four or five minutes trying to find when I last spoke to you. So that makes it great. Uh, and that's an example of how I can use, uh, you know, cross tech solution, really, I suppose, a, a, a Microsoft product on an Apple device. So uh, yeah, it, it just, I feel a lot more in control and on top of things by the way I, the way I use those apps. That's really useful and insightful, John. And, and I love the fact that actually you, as you've explained it, you know, it's, it's multiple ecosystems. And I guess the, the, the biggest takeaway from me actually is, and I, th I think this is an important thing. It's about making sure that you, you do actually a have the habits of, of keeping track of them and so forth and so on, but to use the tools to leverage them so you can free your mind up. Because if you have to remember all these different things, because, you know, I mean, I, I could ask you how many plates you're spinning at the moment, John, but I suspect it, the, the number is considerable. And when you do have that many different projects and people you're working with and, and so forth and so on, leveraging that technology is just a really powerful way to free your mind up. So you, you, you're not clouded, you don't forget things, and you can make those important decisions when you need to make them with the information you need at the right time. Correct? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that, that that's the big thing for me to be able to to be able to take it from my brain, to put it somewhere, to know that it's going to be there, to know that it's not going to be destroyed or you know actually it's there and there's so many times where i've then gone back i did it two days ago actually i was thinking about a conference that i was at or a virtual conference i was at as part of my npqel qualification the executive leadership one 
and it was a conference on day one and somebody had written something. Or sorry, sorry, somebody had talked about something into one note, went through, found my notebook, found my NPQL notebook, found conference day two, bang, 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 scroll through, there's my written notes, bingo. Within 30 seconds, I've found that. Now, yes, I could have written that down on paper somewhere. It wouldn't have been as quick to find it. But the fact that I, I'm in that knowledge of all that's there and I'm happy and I know where it is and I don't then have to keep storing that in my brain, it reduces that kind of cognitive load and it allows me to then think of other things. I think, as you say, that, that that's really a game changer for me. Um, and then I can... I can look at it wherever I want to, phone, iPad, laptop. I can share it with someone. I can screenshot it. I can share it on whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a, it, I would advise anybody to, if they're not using those things, find whatever it is. It doesn't matter whether it's Google, they've, they've all got them, or whether you just want to use a standalone app from the App Store, they're all there. It's take advantage of them. Brilliant insights there, John. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to jump in and ask you, because um, we, we talked about this before we, we yeah, went live. Um, you talked about how you, you take similar approaches and, and use them to help you in your personal life as well. Could you share some insights about how you take these sorts of approaches and then help, use them to help you in your personal life? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same. You're know, just use, using those kind of to-do apps. And, you know, you, you can you can have multiple boards on most of them. So you can have a personal one, which has got maybe your shopping list or, you know, your thoughts about where you were going to go on holiday or whatever, you, you know. But that same approach of keeping track of things and actually, you know, things that you need to do um, that you can kind of date. You can have a personal one. You can have a professional board. You can have two different apps if you want to. But I, I often use notes, even as, as simple as, you know, if I hear a, you know, if I'm out somewhere and I hear it, I hear a song. I'm like, oh wow, I need it. And you know, I, I was out, I was out a few months ago, and it was like I'd heard like some Deacon Blue or a Pet Shop. Oh, I need a Pet Shop Boys playlist. I'm going to put it in my note again. It's just so I don't forget. You know, rather than kind of, mm. you know, and I just think anything like that to be able to write down and 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 declutter your mind and be able to have somewhere where you kind of put that information. Um, and if it's then, if it's not all cluttered in one note, if you've got multiple notes, so one's about your music you want to put in your playlist, or one's about holiday destinations, one's about a book you need to read that you've seen someone talk about, oh, I'll put it in my notes, I'll, I'll have a look at that on Amazon later on, whatever it is, I just think that that, that makes me far more organised and um, I, I forget less because I'm able to kind of put it down somewhere and then almost switch off from that because I know that I've put it somewhere. It's just almost like it's in that safe place, you know, and 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 I, and, and that's where it is. So I, I know where I can go back to it. So yeah, it, it helps me for a lot for lots of things. Now I think you're absolutely right, John. And and the fact is that I I love how over the last sort of sort of three to four years, one of the biggest things for me has been integrations, right? So it's not like you you hear the Pet Shop Boys and and then you have to then go to your notes to do it. Right, so you could Shazam that, and then yeah. Shazam's got an integration, so you can send that Shazam to your notes, and then it goes straight into your notes through that. Or if you're doing research on your holidays, right, there's a send to notes option in, in, yeah. in Safari, or there's a, there's a plugin for it in Chrome. So you send it to your notes. You've got, you've got to go and copy and paste the URL and move it across and stuff. And so there's integrations again, just make you that a little bit more efficient, that a bit more productive, saves time. Um, keeps it all in one place. It's on every device. It, these these approaches are making perfect sense to me, John. So the, 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 the one thing I, the one thing I want to get better at, though, and the one thing that I've never really used that much uh, is, is 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 voice dictation, and that's something that I that I the iPhones had for for it forever, right? The iPhone, like you know, it's kind of using Siri and stuff. But actually, I only use I use it a lot in the car through Apple CarPlay for uh, sending a message. So if I get a message and I'll send one back, or I'll say play my Pet Shop Boys playlist, you know, and that kind of stuff, or take me to wherever. But I very seldom kind of then get my phone out, almost like apprentice style, and like talk to it, you know, and kind of like, and say, add this note to here. And I, I think that would make me even quicker 
but I suppose it just doesn't feel natural. I think it sometimes I, I I still type it, but I know I could probably do it in a in a different way. And would that allow me to be even more seamless? But it's something I've never really cracked yet, and whether I feel it's a bit awkward. But yeah, that's it's not something that I that I've done a lot of. And again, it works out on whether or not whether or not some of those apps are have that voice in it. Because I listen to a lot of podcasts in the car. And every now and again, I want to almost stop the kind of lay-by to write something down that I've heard. And I'd love to just be able to go send this to my notes. But I often then end up sending myself a message, like, you know, a text message to myself, then sits there. But then I then copy and paste it in my notes later. So I could probably be better at that. And I'm sure you can probably tell me a better way to do it. But I think that that kind of voice voice note instruction would be probably something that would be my next level to move that even further. No, things things have improved an awful lot. Um, the most recent uh, iteration of iOS, for example, has, has gotten an awful lot better. Um, it will put the punctuation in for you. It if you say you know smiley emoji rather than writing the word smiley emoji, it will recognise it now and put the actual emoji in. There's yeah. there's been there's an awful lot of progression. Um, voice typing in Google Docs um, is is really really good as well. Um, but um, it's you know Moore's law. You know it's it's not, it's not going to be very long before the, what you're saying there will will be the case. But I'm not aware of anything quite yet, John. Where even with the integrations in like CarPlay and things like that, um, but um, it, it has to be the way forward, doesn't it? Because it's it's about leveraging, like we've been talking about throughout this 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 conversation, yeah, leveraging safety, that technology to help, isn't it? Yeah, it's safety as well, Mark. I mean, I found I'm with Apple CarPlay. Like I'm, I, I don't touch my phone. But, you know, so from a safety point of view. Like to just say, play this playlist, play this, play this track, do this, uh, send this message to somebody, take me to here. Like I'm, I can have my eyes on the road. I can, and, I, and that's been a huge advance from a safety point of view. Rather than mm. be kind of, well, I want to play this playlist, so I'm picking my phone up. Well, I just say, play my, play this playlist, and 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 so that has to be better for us all, doesn't it, in terms of a safety point of view? Yeah, although don't try saying navigate to where the streets have no name because that's just like getting the navigation and your playlist all mixed up there, isn't it? There. Yeah. Um, for those of you too young to know what we're talking about, of course, that's the original song by U2, covered by the Pet Shop Boys, uh, which I'm sure features somewhere on John's Pet Shop Boys playlist. I Absolutely does. There, John, yeah. sorry. Perfect, perfect segue. There. <laughs> um, look. Um, You've talked about productivity um, and and uh, how it can help uh, leaders, um, but productivity is obviously really important for students. And you're a teacher, obviously first and foremost. Um, and I know that you're working on a new book. Just to drop it in there a bit, bit of insider info. You're working on a new book about study skills. So, I thought for one of our sort of final insights, John, could you sort of share a bit about how um, uh, students can leverage technology um, in in helping them with their study and with or without technology, actually, you know, some things that because technology isn't always the right option, obviously. Um, so, yeah, talk a bit about study and, and how students can be a bit more productive, John, please. Yeah, definitely. And I think that certainly, you know, technology has a kind of a major part in it. And, and my son's just gone off to university and, you know, we, we kind of got him an iPad before I went and, and we talked through using OneNote and using the pencil and, and he, he screenshots a lot and shows me how it's been really useful that he's. So I think there's lots of ways that we can use technology to be very very useful now and all the things we've just mentioned actually all those productivity apps can be just as useful if not more for for our students as well um and it's about employing the same understanding of kind of being able to take it out of your brain put it put it on in, in an app somewhere being able to date it you know when it when it's going to be being able to assign and prioritize things all those things are super super useful certainly the further you go up through school whether it's gcse level you know and, and, and degree level so that that's one thing 
the other side of it is that, that I'm really interested with it is talking to parents and students about the perfect learning environment that they can use at home because we often spend lots of time talking about content with students and, and all the stuff happens in school between like nine and three but we know that unfortunately we teach generally the kids we generally teach kids the same in our, in our classrooms yet our disadvantaged kids go home to a different environment sometimes and don't achieve as well so something's got to be happening between kind of three o'clock and nine o'clock the next morning and actually lots of our advantaged kids uh might you know employ tutors or you know they've, they've got parents who might have a, a better understanding or those type of things so we've got to bridge that gap somehow and i'm really kind of keen to make sure that parents don't need to know shakespeare they don't need to know be you know be a, a master at physics to be able to help at home and those things are, are, that, that can be free of charge in terms of removing the mobile phone from the room for 20 minutes while they're doing the study because you and i both know we were talking off air about the distractions that those mobile phones have and any parents listening to this will know that you know you only need to spend two or three minutes with a teenager and that phone will vibrate at least once if not probably 20 times in that two or three minutes so if they're if they're allegedly studying in that bedroom i say allegedly because if that mobile phone's in there they ain't going to be studying or they might appear to be studying but their concentration is going to be constantly broken and their rhythm is going to be shattered every few seconds and I was just reading a book, and we were talking about it before, by Johan Hari, Stolen Focus. I was reading it over half term about the, 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 the mental cost of switching between tasks that we feel is good because it's multitasking. But when you're at work, whether it's an adult or a, or a kid, if you're constantly checking email and or your phone's going, it doesn't have to be a lot. The cost of switching tasks and that, that, that is, is huge on your focus your ability to, to be accurate, uh, your, 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 your errors, all those type of things. And so removing the mobile phone, so, so actually say to parents, you can do a huge amount by timing the activity that the kids are going to do for 20 minutes, you know, and then that kind of Pomodoro idea of the kitchen clock timer of 20 minutes, that's it. Take the mobile phone out the room for 20 minutes. Make sure they've got everything to hand before they start. I mean, that's it sounds basic, but how many kids start and then have to get up two minutes in because they don't have a protractor or they don't have a calculator or they need to go to the toilet or they want a drink? Now, some of that, as you and I all know as parents, Mark, is distraction techniques. It's, I don't want to do it, so I need the toilet or I need a drink. But actually, some of it is actually, I do need a drink or I need the toilet. Well, actually, if, you, if we get all those distractions done before we start, and as a parent, you can say, have you got everything in front of you? What do you need? Right, you need your calculator, you need a pen, you need a green pen. I'm going to get you a drink. I'll get you a biscuit. I'll take your phone now for 20 minutes, solid focus on that task. And then in 20 minutes, I'll give you your phone back and you can check your notifications to your heart's content for four or five minutes if you want to. But actually, by the phone being in the room, because some people say to me, well, I'll just, I'll put it on silent then is that going to be good enough? Well, again, Mark, you and I both know having our phones in our pockets all day, how many times do we check our phone? No notifications gone off, but you check it. Oh, I'm just going to check whether or not. And there's this addiction almost of your phone calling your name. Mark, Mark, check me. If that phone's in that room within arm's reach, that is happening constantly. And we need to be, we need not to be naive enough to think that that's going to be happening. So it's about removing the phone, getting everything ready, making sure you time it, is there a flat desk? Making sure it's well lit. Yada yada. All these things, simple things, but actually, sometimes the parent just goes, "Well, I don't know how to help because I don't know Shakespeare." And what they're doing? Well, they're in their room revising. Are they really? And are they doing it properly? So there's a huge difference between, as you said, the banana hour principle. It's not not what you do; it's the way you do it. 
you can study really effectively at home in an amazing environment and you can also do it very very poorly in an environment with lots of distractions telly on mobile phone going not on a flat desk on your knee things like on a sofa you know the research says that we need to be re studying in an area that our brain is not associated with relaxation so the the you know the criminal offense here is kids who lie down on their bed and do studying or, or sit on the sofa your body and mind is being tricked into a relaxation mode because that's where you go to relax all right so if you're then trying to study there it doesn't work hence why lots of mm. students study still in the library before they go back to their halls of residence because you're in that mindset mode of i'm in a work mode i'm not lying on my bed so all of these very little things can make big differences and i'm really passionate about trying to get that across to parents so that they know they can help without any money doesn't cost anything they didn't know they don't need to know the content but if they can do these things and then they can ask a simple question like a retrieval activity question you know like if we're sat with our kids on a night on an evening meal and you say to them what a lot of people say what have you done today at school and that word done you get like a crap answer you get uh we did maths we did pe mm, not much because <clears throat> you said what did you do you change that one word and you say what did you learn today completely different question you suddenly are into a retrieval question with those kids and the kids are going all right well in maths we did and that's what you want you don't want we did maths we did pe i had this for lunch what did you learn today one word difference can make a huge difference to that and then the kids don't know they're in a, in a, in a retrieval question but you know it and you're helping them to retrieve all the time and as you and i both know making that knowledge more concrete and again getting that across to parents those little things can make big differences and you don't need to spend any money on it at all. It's just doing things in a different way. So that's what I'm passionate about trying to get across because I think it would really, really help everyone, but especially that kind of the disadvantage gap as well. I think that it'll help even more with those families. Oh, brilliant, John. Thank you very much for those insights. And I love that final one there. That, 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 again, the simple flip because, and, and I get it myself with my own children, you know, but it, it turns it from being a, yeah, did this to actually what did you learn? And it becomes a conversation then, doesn't it? Rather than a, and it, you, you can then pull on those threads, can't you? But if, if you've got those threads to pull on, I mean, maths, you know, geography, whatever, they're, they're huge subjects, obviously, yeah. right? If, it, if they've mentioned I don't know, groins or you know, uh, fractions or whatever it is they, they're, they're actually talking about, you can pull on that, and as I say, it just helps to reinforce that and flatten out the forgetting curve that the whole nine yards, doesn't it? So, brilliant insights, John. Um, tell me when when's this book going to be coming out? I'm, I'm sure that um, uh, <laughs> really keen to uh, get their, yeah, their hands on it. I'm just kind of I'm in the in the very very first process of putting a proposal together of what it might look like at the moment. So I'm I'm kind of hoping it's going to get past that kind of that first hurdle. Um, these things take a long time in terms of you know this you've written one. Do you know what I mean in terms of the fact that they take they, they take a long time to kind of write and then be published and be printed and that kind of stuff. So it's probably not going to be until at some point later on next year. Um, but I'm hoping it kind of gets, you know, it moves forward uh, at a rate of knots. Uh, and it'll, I want it to be not a book that you have to read from start to finish. I want it to be like a cookbook. You know, I want to dive into it and go, right, I want to, oh, you know, that's a great strategy. One page, one strategy. Here's what it looks like. I can do that tomorrow. Great. Um, different sections. That, that's what I'm kind of after. So uh, hopefully be really accessible for people, just like a cookbook is. You know, I want to make this tonight. Like, let's look through, make it, have a look at it, do it, done not having to then because this is the problem isn't it that actually a lot of the parents i'm going to be targeting aren't going to be necessarily wanting to read a book from start to finish and maybe not have the the literacy skills as well so i wanted to make it super accessible 
to everyone that you don't then have to be able to read from start to finish because we know that that's very difficult for you know, for all mm. of us to, to have time to do that. Brilliant stuff, John. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join me on our Insights conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, it too. John, I've been putting across the bottom your, your Twitter handle. Um, if people do want to follow you or, or find out more about what it is that you do, um, obviously, yeah, they can follow you at Team Take. Where else can they find you, John? Uh, you can find me on the usual channels in terms of LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm there on John Tate. You can find me there. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. I put lots of on there. Uh, if you want, if, you, if you're if just interested in my books, um, they're, they're published by Bloomsbury. But I mean, like many people, search me on Amazon. You'll find me pretty quickly in, in, in terms of there, in terms of you know, my books. So uh, yeah, that, that's the best place to go to. And um, you know, and, and if you ever want to reach out and ask anything like like like, like Mark said, then, then feel free to. Always happy to help if I can. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, thank you very much for taking the time to join me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, now that the pandemic is hopefully right out of the way, look forward to seeing you uh, in real life, if not at bets, uh, in uh, March next year. I can't believe it's coming around so quickly again, John. But um, thanks for taking the time to share your insights. It's been really worthwhile and useful and great to have a chance to have a catch up and a bit of a chat with you as well, John. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Great to speak to you again.